Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Radio Havana, Cuba, France 24, and George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. North Korea has continued testing longer-range missiles. The U.S. released a national security strategy saying that only China can compete with the U.S. on a global scale and that the Indo-Pacific region is the center of geopolitics in the 21st century. The United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution asking Russia to scrap its annexation of four Ukrainian regions. Eight people have been arrested in connection with the bombing of the bridge to Crimea. The United Nations Climate Conference begins next month in Egypt, and the conference chair hopes that the war in Ukraine will not overshadow the climate emergency. NHK Japan We begin this hour in North Korea, where state media is reporting the country successfully launched two long-range cruise missiles Wednesday. The North had been firing missiles at an unprecedented pace this year. The Rodon Shinmun says the missiles flew over the Yellow Sea for nearly three hours and hit their targets 2,000 kilometers away. The paper says the tests were part of recent drills that have shown the full capacity of the country's nuclear combat forces. Leader Kim Jong-un oversaw the launch. He was quoted as saying his country will continue to expand the operational sphere of its nuclear strategic armed forces to deter any threats. China is the only competitor with both the intent and the capability to reshape the international order. That's one of the messages coming from the U.S. national security strategy. President Joe Biden's administration released it Wednesday, the first one since he took office. It's a set of guidelines for diplomatic and military strategies. The strategy says it's clear the next 10 years will be key in order to compete with China. The plan is to strengthen competitiveness, innovation, resilience, and democracy. It says the United States will compete responsibly with China to defend U.S. interests and also deepen ties with allies and partners. The strategy describes the Indo-Pacific as the epicenter of 21st century geopolitics. It says the U.S. reaffirms its unwavering commitment to the defense of Japan under their mutual security treaty, which it says covers the Senkaku Islands. Japan controls the islands. China and Taiwan claim them. The Japanese government maintains the islands are an inherent part of Japan's territory. Russia is being portrayed as an immediate and persistent threat to international peace and stability. 
The strategy warns that Moscow's reliance on nuclear weapons will likely increase as its military weakens due to the ongoing invasion. The document says the U.S. will not allow Russia or any power to achieve its objectives through using or threatening to use nuclear weapons. Delegates to the United Nations are calling on Russia to scrap its annexation of four Ukrainian regions immediately and unconditionally. They've passed a draft resolution condemning votes to join Russia, what they call the sham referendums. Russia's ambassador says the votes were held in full accordance with the principles of international law. The expressions of commitment to the protection of international law that you heard today from representatives of the U.S. and other NATO member states are a vivid example of hypocrisy and double standards. Neventia cited the readiness of U.S. leaders to use force to protect Taiwan, which he said is an integral part of China. He says those in NATO countries also only support what suits their interests. 143 countries supported Wednesday's resolution. About 50 countries opposed or abstained from voting. An update to the blast on a key bridge linking Russia with Crimea. Authorities have now arrested eight people who they claim were involved. Media reports say five Russians and three people from Ukraine and Armenia were detained. Russian security officials claim the Ukrainian Defense Ministry organized the explosion on the 19-kilometer bridge, but Ukraine has not officially confirmed its involvement in the blast. Russia has retaliated to the explosion by firing dozens of missiles into Ukrainian cities, and there are reports that attacks on civilians are continuing for a third day. The UN Climate Change Conference kicks off next month in Egypt. Ukraine is weighing heavily on the minds of world leaders scheduled to attend. The conference chair hopes the war will not overshadow discussion of the most urgent environmental problems. We hope that uh, these uh, geopolitical tensions will not transfer into the uh, COP venue. All countries must maintain the focus on the issue of climate change. The Egyptian foreign minister spoke with NHK in Cairo on Monday. He said the worsening situation in Ukraine threatens to make it harder for governments to strike necessary compromises on climate change deals. The main agenda is to deal and to alleviate the impact on normal people who continue to be affected by the challenges of climate change. Shukri highlighted the evidence of climate change, such as devastating floods and heat waves, especially their impact on developing nations. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. Floods and landslides hit Venezuela, Guatemala, and El Salvador. The United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution for better access to financing for nations suffering from climate change. 
The World Bank continues to finance fossil fuel developments despite pledges made at the 2015 Paris Agreements to stop. One-eighth of all bird species on Earth are facing extinction. Deforestation in the Amazon rainforest reached a record level in September. Radio Havana, Cuba. At least 28 people have died after Hurricane Julia caused rains and landslides in several Latin American countries, including Guatemala and El Salvador. Rivers overflowed their banks and El Salvador declared a state of emergency and opened 80 storm shelters. Julia hit Nicaragua's central Caribbean coast early on Sunday as a hurricane with maximum sustained winds of 135 kilometers per hour or 85 miles per hour and surged through the passage over the country's mountainous terrain entering the Pacific late in the day as a tropical storm. NHC said floods and mudslides were still possible across Central America and southern Mexico through Tuesday when the storm expected to bring as much as 380 millimeters, that's 15 inches of rain in isolated areas. The United Nations General Assembly has passed a resolution for better access to international financing to help developing nations mitigate and adapt to increasingly calamitous climate change. Rich countries have some kept promise to provide $100 billion a year in climate change financing starting in 2020 is a recurrent sticking point in international talks on the climate emergency. So is a call from developing countries for a fund especially designed to compensate for the lost and damage always suffered because of global warming largely caused by industrialized nations. In a speech to the General Assembly, Secretary General Antonio Guterres said UN climate talks known as COP27 opening in Egypt in November must be the place for serious actions on loss and damage. COP27 must be the place for clarity on vital funding for adaptation and resilience, Guterres said. At last year's COP26 conference in Glasgow, developed nations promised to double climate adaptation support to $40 billion a year by 2025. However, $300 billion a year will be needed by developing countries for adaptation by 2030, according to the United Nations. Developing countries are the least responsible for climate change, but the ones who suffer the most because of it. A new report finds the World Bank has financed at least $14.8 billion in fossil fuel development since the signing of the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015. That's despite a pledge by World Bank officials roughly five years ago to stop supporting oil and gas projects within two years. A campaigner with a group Glasgow Actions team said if the World Bank wants to be a part of the solution rather than the problem, it needs to stop funding fossil fuels and unlock billions in order to support the transition to renewable energy across the globe and end poverty and inequality. A new report warns that one cut out of every eight species of birds on Earth is threatened with extinction. It is this flagship state of the world's birds report. The conservation group BirdLife International finds half of all species are in decline primarily due to habitat destruction and the increasing use of machinery and chemicals in agriculture. BirdLife CEO Patricia Zurita said birds tell us about the health of our natural environment. We ignore their messages at our peril. Deforestation in the Brazilian Amazon has broken a record for the month of September, continuing a trend that has accelerated during the tenure of the country's far-right president Jair Bolsonaro. 
about 1,455 square kilometers, about 562 square miles of rainforest, were cleared in September, according to satellite data from the Brazilian Space Research Agency, INPE. That is up to 48% from a year ago and beating the September 2019 record in a data series that began in 2015. Average deforestation in the vital ecosystem has increased by 75% from the previous decade since Bolsonaro took office in 2019. The news of accelerating deforestation takes place as Brazil braces for a continuous election on October 30th, where Bolsonaro will face off against former left-wing president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who has promised to crack down on deforestation. Anyone who cares about the future of the rainforest, the lives of indigenous peoples, and the possibility of having a livable planet should vote to remove Bolsonaro. Marcio Astrini, the executive secretary of the Climate Observatory, a coalition of environment groups, said in a statement. Lula won the first round last week but failed to clear the 50% threshold needed to avoid a runoff. Bolsonaro's surprisingly strong showing in the first round, where many expected him to lose outright, was environmentalist groups feeling uneasy. Many believe that the future of the Amazon, a vital resource in the fight against climate change, will hinge in the results of the upcoming election. About 60% of the Amazon is located in Brazil. Bolsonaro, an ally of Brazil's powerful agribusiness sector, has overseen a massive depletion of the rainforest as ranchers and loggers clear and set fire to wide swaths of the forest. During his first year in office, in 2019, 9,178 square kilometers, about 3,543 square miles, were destroyed, the worst year on record. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There aren't any podcasts up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6060 or 61.65. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. On to France 24. First, a report on the three-week-long strike by French refinery workers that has led to shortages at the gas pumps and now threats from the government. Then a report on new UK Prime Minister Liz Truss and how she is changing UK climate policy, including ending a moratorium on fracking. France 24. We can go across France 24's Luc Schregel standing by in Le Havre, I believe. Luc, what's going on where you are? Well, we've seen uh, this strike underway for, for weeks now. Here at Total, the strike is in its 15th day uh, over at Exxon. It's now hit three weeks. Now, this has had a major effect on France's uh, capacity for refinery. 60% of the country's uh, capacity for refinery now halted, and that's led to a knock-on effect at around a third of France's petrol stations, which are now experiencing supply problems. Now, of course, this comes uh, against a backdrop of the cost-of-living crisis. Workers were demands they want their wages boosted uh, for 
from around 6 to 10 percent uh, in line with inflation. And they want that retroactively applied across 2022. Now, here at Total, the, the, the management has said that it is willing to uh, bring annual salary negotiations forward for, from November to October. But that is only if the strike uh, is ended. Now, the government, for its part, has said that uh, it wants to give dialogue a chance, but uh, that it cannot afford for these uh, strikes to continue indefinitely. It's been saying that uh, it could, if there is no progress made, it could force staff back to work. That sparked uh, a reaction from strikers. Uh, it's seen, uh, uh, with some anger, it's seen as an attack on their right to strike. And their question is, uh, how are they going to make us go back to work? Now, uh, if the government have said that the strike is uh, excessive and out of line, uh, there is a great deal of anger that does need to be addressed. The Ukraine war we've seen over the last uh, over the last months uh, has sparked massive rises in the costs of oil and gas, and that's led to massive profits for uh, such companies. And the workers, they say, they've uh, seen their own finances squeezed, and they say uh, they want what is their due. Now that the government is threatening to break up these protests through the use of force, uh, we should add, what are protesters there telling you? Well, as I've said, uh, it is being seen as an attack to their right to strike. They've uh, been working... uh constantly throughout the, uh, the crisis. The cost of living crisis has seen uh, household finances, not just in France, but uh, around much of Europe, really uh, given the squeeze. And uh, people just can't afford to live anymore. It's, it's worse than it ever has been. Uh, they're refusing to go back to work until they get exactly what they want. Like I say, the, the 10% uh, uh, rise to two salaries in line with inflation. Uh, they simply say that they've been working uh, for too long to see uh, oil and gas uh, companies net these massive profits that have been coming in in recent months as a result uh, of the war in Ukraine. Luke, thank you very much for that. Luke Schrager reporting that from Le Havre. Well, joining me now is our environment editor, Valerie de Camp. Valerie, um, it's been a month since Liz Truss became mm. Prime Minister and many are questioning her climate policy already, not just activists and campaigners, but also people within her own party. Tell us a bit about what's going on. Right. So questions are being raised um, over her climate policies and also whether there will be a continuation of climate plans put in place by the conservative government back in 2019 after the general election. It's all been building up over the last uh, few weeks. And the latest move that has angered many people is the government's resistance to funding an energy saving campaign this winter to reduce demand amid soaring prices. And reportedly, Liz Truss, she uh, ignored her own government climate advisors in putting in place this energy saving plan. And perhaps what's really raising concerns, I would say, among climate activists is her decision to end a moratorium on fracking. So fracking is a highly controversial technique for recovering oil and gas from uh, the soil, the the earth. And it was banned back in 2019 after uh, opponents fiercely uh, opposed went against this uh, fracking technique as it's very controversial. Uh, but we know that the, US, the UK has also opened up uh, several licensing rounds for new oil and gas projects in the North Sea. As many as 100 licenses could be opened in the North Sea. So you can see several moves there uh, in favor of fossil fuels. And Truss, on the other hand, she has defended her decision, saying that her priority, her absolute priority was actually uh, energy supply and strengthening energy supply. 
Environmentalists, on the other hand, they have slammed that decision, some even infiltrating uh, Truss's speech last week to the conservatives and holding a banner saying who voted for this and asking Truss uh, who actually voted for fracking. Uh, they were removed from the venue, obviously, but they spoke to the press after that happened. And let's take a listen to what they had to say. This year, we really felt we needed to make an intervention because nobody actually voted for a lot of what Liz Truss and her government are trying to do at the moment. Nobody voted for fracking. Nobody voted to cut benefits. Nobody voted to trash nature. There's a whole host of things that the Conservative government were elected to do in 2019 that they are simply not doing. Now, Liz Truss, who happens to be a former Shell executive, has accused critics and environmentalists of being anti-growth, actually. Now, is there a real risk, in your view, Valerie, that the UK could actually backtrack on those climate commitments, especially ahead of the UN Climate Summit, which will take place uh, next month? Well, if you take fracking, for example, we know that it's highly controversial, uh, that it's also highly polluting. Uh, but fracking never actually took off in the first place in the UK because the UK doesn't have the right type of soil and it makes it a lot more expensive to do. So we should not be expecting a flurry of investments, of fracking investments in the coming months or years. But what this move does say, in my opinion, is the government is not intent on moving away from fossil fuels as it should be doing now in order to keep in line with its climate commitments. Uh, the UK actually has one of the most ambitious climate goals among industrialized nations, so reducing uh, CO2 emissions by almost 80 percent by 2035 and then by uh, 100 percent, so becoming carbon neutral by the middle of the century. Uh, these targets, however, they were enshrined into law, so the UK government is legally obliged to actually keep those targets in check. But nobody really knows if or when leaders will be held accountable if they don't meet those targets. Uh, what is interesting, though, is that the Egyptian government, the hosts of, of COP27 this year, uh, they have warned the UK against backtracking on their climate commitments. And this is a highly unusual move. We don't necessarily see before a summit takes place the Egyptian presidency coming out and then saying to the UK, hold on, you know, watch out. You need to keep uh, your climate commitments. Um, and for now, it is unclear if Liz Truss will actually go to Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt for COP27. And perhaps another powerful symbol, I would say, of the UK potentially disengaging from climate diplomacy is the fact that King Charles, who is has long been a an advocate of climate uh, diplomacy and the environment in general, who has attended most UN climate summits in the past, he will not be attending, reportedly because he has followed instructions coming from Downing Street. And interestingly, uh, Alok Sharma, who presided, uh, a cabinet member who presided over COP26 last year, um, and also the uh, climate minister, UK climate minister, both of them uh, breaking ranks and asking again for King Charles to attend COP27. So all of this combined I would say it's what's raising concerns that the UK could possibly be uh, sliding backwards in terms of climate commitments. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in November. Valerie DeCamp, our environment editor. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like three listeners did this week who make automatic monthly donations through PayPal. It is easy to do and most helpful to me. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with George Galloway from his weekly program called The Mother of All Talk Shows. First, an excerpt from a statement European Parliament Irish member Claire Daly made on the escalation of the war in Ukraine. Then George questions the media silence about who is responsible for the Baltic Sea pipeline explosions. George Galloway. Now, no member of the British Parliament, virtually no member of the American Congress, virtually no member of any elected parliament anywhere will say anything remotely like what I just said to you now. But there is one woman in the European Parliament who speaks so powerfully, the walls of the European Parliament shake. But that's all, because nobody ever reports the things that she says. But here on the mother of all talk shows, we're going to regularly feature Claire Daly, member of the European Parliament. Here she was speaking in the European Parliament this very week. The war in Ukraine is quickly escalating into a wider horror. And from what I can see, practically nobody in this chamber is doing anything to prevent it. In fact, most people seem to get off on the fact that it's escalating. And at this precise moment, of course, as usual, the voices challenging the rush to war are attacked and silenced, smeared as traitors, cronies, Putin puppets, Kremlin stooges, Russian ages. Frankly, it's pathetic. And I don't make the comparison lightly, but the crudeness and cynicism of these slurs coming from mainstream EU parties might as well have been written by Hermann Goring, who infamously said that even though people never want war, they can be brought to war with threats and smears. He said, all you have to do, tell them they're being attacked, denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing their country to danger. It works the same every way. Where he led, you are following. This House should be ashamed of this debate. Words are being twisted, meaning subverted, and the truth turned on its head. Opposing the horrible madness of war is not anti-European. It's not anti-Ukrainian. It's not pro-Russian. It's common sense. The working class of Europe have nothing to gain from this war and everything to lose. And I find it laughable that those calling for arms to Ukraine never call for arms for the people of Palestine or for the people of Yemen. Unlike you, I oppose all war. I want it stopped. I make no apology for that, and I'm not going to be scapegoated and labelled. On the subject of uh, hoaxes, there are none as large, but which were punctured so quickly 
as the canard that Russia had blown up its own Nord Stream pipelines. Now the US seem not even to be denying anymore that it was them that did it. A terrorist attack by anybody's standards, I argue the biggest terrorist attack since 9-11. In Germany, 92% of the people believe the US carried out the attack on Nord Stream, which speaks to the good sense of most Germans. Those clips were from George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. George is a 30-year former member of the British Parliament whose interviews used to be on Russia Today for many years until they were shut down by the EU and the United States. He now posts his shows on YouTube. Search for his channel called George Galloway. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.